Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Got a legendary chili dog sleeping in her bed under the desk. We just had a nice hike, even though it was in town. Sometimes she likes to walk around town and uh, sniff a lot. Um, all right, this episode... Maybe not quite as much fun as the first time I talked with Chip and Andrea having breakfast on the beach in Belize, but um, very interesting. Um, you know, a couple of, mm, they're not rookies, but they're new and they still certainly have that passion. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. So uh, it was fun to talk to them, always is. Other than that, the. Uh, Hey, it's fall. Not a lot going on around here. Uh, yeah, go to Mexico in a few weeks for the Baja, and um, then pretty soon it'll be Christmas, and then, hey, it'll be C2C time, and it all gets to start over again. So can't uh, wait for a couple more fun things to do. Plus, that means we're done with winter. I'm tired of it already. I've already had like two snows, and... I don't like snow. So, anyway, on to funner things uh, with Chip and Andrea. So, uh, go fast, take chances, and thanks for listening. There he is. Yes. Turn up the volume here. I didn't know we'd get to see you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or that you'd get to see us. <laughs> that's true. Well, in the old days, we didn't because I didn't have enough bandwidth. So. <laughs> cool. We do now. Yeah. See how professional I am? Got my Johnny Cash shirt on. Awesome. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Johnny Cash. Nothing wrong yet. The Black Hills 100, so. Apparently you scared Chili away, though, because she, she left right away. Hopefully I've scared the birds away. <laughs> yeah, they're actually, Paulette only did like a four-hour ride, so she's down in the basement spinning for a while. Until so, we get done. Then it's movie night. So, popcorn and movie. Awesome. What are you going to watch? Um, I am guessing we're going to watch a couple episodes of Goliath. Have you ever seen that? It's on Amazon with Billy Bob. It's really, really good. He's like a, a has-been lawyer that takes on these big clients. But really good. Highly recommended. So Cool. So what did you guys do for fun all weekend? I've been out on the trails. We got some ghost trails at my local state park, and we had that hurricane that came through while we were in Africa, and it destroyed my trails. And so since they're unsanctioned trails, I have to go back there with my own rake and my own clippers, and so I spent three hours doing that, and then went back and mountain biked them, which was a lot of fun because now they're fast. Oh, there you go. That's kind of what I... Now they're ready for Andrea, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, stuff. We, we're getting ready for Halloween, so we're ready. Oh, cool. Well, we kind of did the same thing. We marked some trails. We're uh, helping out with a test extreme triathlon event next weekend. So, like, guys are coming from Norway. So, open water swim, 120 mile bike ride, and then like a marathon on the trail. So, wow, we're marking that. And then came home and cut trees, so almost exactly what you guys did. Wow. All day. Yeah, so it's like, let's go back to work tomorrow. Oh. Take it easy. <laughs> I'm leaving for a conference, so I'm going to be out for like a week and two or three days. So I needed the time in the outdoors just to clear my head and get back get back to what's important. And then I'm going to have to play the conference food and all of that, you know. Yeah. Do you get do you get enough time to do anything, or are you when you conference, or are you like literally, you know, forty hours a day working on doing that? Leading a run each morning, so I'm getting up, and and so the we have this uh, cool. Actually, it's behind me here on my thing. This is my EO. The conference is called Entrepreneurs Organization. Or I'm sorry, the organization is called Entrepreneurs Organization. The conference is called Nerve. It's a regional conference here on the East Coast. And so my EO means, like, I want to go running. Would you guys, guys like to come run with me? And so anybody at the conference that wants to get up in the morning and go for a five, probably a 7K or so around Charleston, South Carolina, 
they've they've signed up. So I'm leading a bike ride and a run uh, before the conference. And so I'm going to get my exercise in. It's a matter of if other people want to get do it with me. So yeah. So I mean, will will people do it, or are they all conference people? <laughs> yeah. This is a group of entrepreneurs. So many of them, I think the average age is. 43, 42. So there are a lot there, right? I'm, I'm at 46 right now. So um, believe it or not, a lot of them are outdoorsy people. And they, there's a lot of yoga people, a lot of running people, a lot of biking people. Now, not any adventure racers, although I've met one or two. But, um, you know, we're, we might be on the extreme side, but the normal workout thing, these are, you know, relatively young folks. Yeah. Did we talk about the entrepreneur stuff? On the beach, or did we? Not too much. I mean, we did a yeah. probably. I mean, we talked a little bit about the company that you know we support people with disabilities and kind of where our yeah. team name came from. You know, focused on the ability that that we all have, and not focusing on the disability, which has been a theme for us both in our adventure racing, but also our careers, and then uh, a little bit of the inspiration by by us pushing ourselves, doing crazy things like Expedition Africa or Expedition Oregon or Belize. Um, Kind of inspires others, hopefully, that, um, you know, even even though we're weekend warriors and we're in our uh, mid to late 40s, uh, we're still able to do some really cool things. And, you know, I guess uh, 40 is the new 20, I think, maybe, you know. Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, I mean, now that, you know, you've done a few races, can you see that you're affecting anybody directly? Or is it still just kind of something you think is growing in in – you know, people are discovering you, and, and uh, you're starting to be a role model. I think we might be affecting some people. I guess I'll say that. You know, I've had a couple ladies recently that um, did an event with me, and they want to learn how to orienteer and mountain bike. And, you know, so a couple specific instances, and who knows about who we're affecting broadly. Uh, that, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but it's nice <laughs> when people say, hey, I like, you know, that you put yourself out there and, they seem to like what they um, see. So, yeah, I hope. I think also yeah. when, when, when we first really met you in um, Belize, uh, Andrew, I, I was, both of us actually were solo racers, and then we joined forces for one 18-hour race, and then Belize was our only second – it was our second team race, really. And and at four and a half days, it was a big jump to go from 18 hours to four and a half days in a foreign country as part of the World Series. Um, But we both walked away from it being like a life-changing experience. Um, Shortly after that, we – or I guess as a solo racer, I got invited to go to national championships. It was a roll-down process, and somehow it rolled down to solo racers, maybe because they just needed an entry. And uh, for the first time, I had to put together a team. And that's really when – the company benefit that I use to basically empower my employees to go out and do things in the community, uh, be a part of their community, but also have a physical component. Um, we, we actually took the team name from my company and decided, well, we'll, we'll just do the national championships with, with this ability. But I had to cobble together a team. I'd never really raced with anybody other than Andrea. And so when it comes down to how have we changed people, now I look back at it, all of the different racers that we've now raced with and it's probably up to maybe 10 to 15 people yeah. from around the world at this point um, yeah they they might not have done you know let's say a 48 hour race or the national championships if we had not asked and said hey we need a teammate trust us we we can get through this we just we need you know we need you on the team or or whatever so um, the, the friendships, I, I guess I kind of, this is something I missed maybe early on in my adventure racing career was the adventure racing part's fun, the racing part, and the mountain biking and all the different sports. But the, the friendships you get when you join together to do something mm-hmm. as hard as these bigger races, let's, let's say anything over 24 hours enough where you're overnight and that type of thing, the, the friendships and the bonds you make with other people that are passionate about what you're passionate about that's one of the biggest, I think, one of the biggest rewards of adventure racing. Yeah. Uh, and I would say I agree with you because I don't have to do your stupid races, but I get to hang out with, with the family. <laughs> so, I mean, I, that's exactly what you're saying. You, you go to these races and you're, you're almost as excited to see everybody as you are to do the race. Absolutely. Yes. 
totally. And and then when you when you see somebody that you've raced with before, you know, it's like it's like a family reunion. And then there's that list of racers. It was like we know, like we we've clicked personality wise and all of that, and we've tried to align our race together. But we haven't done it yet. So there's that there's that list of racers. Like we're planning on doing Lesotho, uh, which is the Expedition Africa. Uh, their 10-year anniversary of Expedition Africa. And Lesotho is a little tiny country inside South Africa. Um, and right now we're trying to say, okay, what teammates, who should we ask? Like, who do we want to race with? And um, kind of you start with a short list and you work your way down because that's a big six-day race in a foreign country and a different hemisphere and da 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 But it's, it's, it's hopefully the, I don't know, I, I really look forward to the races to, to spend that time working on a really big goal with, with another racer that I've never raced with. No. So, um, will you actually reach out to maybe somebody you haven't raced with before people you have raced with, or do you not know yet? <laughs> well, yeah, go ahead. gosh, I, we haven't even really gotten that far because yeah. I kind of know that people who, um, wouldn't have the time, you know, so, I don't know. The answer is <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you have a better answer. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, it is like a year away, right? So no, it's April. Like we just April. got done with Expedition Africa, and it seems like the next one's right around the corner. Well, um, it kind of is. Yeah, on a six-day race on the other side of the planet, it, the, the the planning and the preparation, the team building, all of that, it obviously has to start well before the race, which is. Expedition length adventure racing is a different sport than typical adventure racing, as you probably know. Yeah. Um, so the, the the way this went down with this expedition, Africa, our, we had some teammates lined up in the United States, and and we we did the normal thing that you you know you want to race together, you want to do a couple of shakedown races, maybe a twenty four, forty eight, etc. And um, through unforeseen circumstances, uh, one of our racers, uh, I guess when when Donald Trump started kind of messing around with Iraq or Iran the first time. Uh, she had to get deployed. And um, so all of a sudden she's like, I, I can't race. I'm sorry. And then uh, the other fella had some jobs things go down and, and some some things change where the, the right decision for him was to stay back with his family and focus on work, which is obviously a, a very important yeah. thing. So we were down. We had asked everybody we knew through our normal methods and we ended up going through the expedition Africa website and they had a handful of free agents that were South African and um, that were interested in the race. And so we actually, I, I actually emailed every one of them and interviewed, I think a total of six people. And then um, luckily two that were um, a good match for our team. Like we're strong mid pack. It's like, we're not trying to go to the yeah. podium. We know what we're doing and we're not going to get lost and, and do all the normal things that the back of the pack does. But, oh you know, we kind of, <laughs> only twice. but I, so, so we really wanted racers that were physically capable that wanted to go in there and do the best we could. But as long as we're still having fun and, and obviously suffering as a part of these big races and that's part of the fun. But, um, but the idea is that it just, it's on these big races, you want people that are, that are a good match, you know, personality, goal-wise, physicality, capability, et cetera. And so we, we found um, Jenny and Hank. They didn't know each other. They were just South Africans that, that had done uh, – Jenny had done some races with Jabberwock before, so she knew what it was like to try to podium. And, she did um, podium. She did podium. I'm sorry. <laughs> she got <laughs> place and third place with Jabberwock, which was, like, totally intimidating to us because we were like, holy crap, you know. But, you know, she had had some kids and kind of, you know, wasn't pushing herself as hard physically. So she was looking forward to a race with a team that was more for the fun than it is for the winning. And then Hank was just a big mountain biker and had done some other Swazi stream and some other big races, but he had never done a big adventure race like this. So, uh, but man, it's, it's, we, you know, we, we picked the right people. They were awesome teammates. Um, I mean, the, the, out of 128 hours of racing, I mean, we, we had a couple times where things got frustrating, where we were tired and grumpy and lost or whatever. But, I mean, 99% of the time we were having the time of our lives with with best friends forever. Um, so, very cool. Yeah, it's a, it can be that crapshoot, right? With, it could. With yeah. the, uh, a lot of like in. to fight and bicker and they're grumpy on the way, enemies at the end and we, you know, so I'm very glad that that didn't happen. 
So equally matched. Like I, when I didn't, and I've seen this in the past with some, some teams and some racers, somebody comes in and they haven't trained up enough and then they, you know, they're dealing with the stuff that, that's really hurt. Like the, either the, you know, your crotch getting all chafed up or your feet have blisters or you just can't physically keep up. And so you're in the pain cage the whole time. Um, you know, that, I just I didn't want to see that happen. So I, I was happy to have a team that we all could go at the same pace, and we're all at eighty percent capacity. You know. So, yeah. So you know, in my never-ending quest to be smarter <laughs> and learn about adventure racing, how long did it take you to feel like you were a team? Oh, it took about fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think the race started, and it was a sailing leg, and the four of us had to work together to make sure we were doing the right thing at the right time, and it just took us all a coordinated effort, and so all the niceties kind of go away. Like, at that point, you're just focused on the effort not to mess up and to work together, like I said. So, for me, I just felt like as soon as that sailing leg was over and we had a a 900-meter snorkel to the shore that was really rough, uh, the current was terrible, and uh, when we got to the shore, I mean, I just felt like we were instant teammates. Like, we were all watching out for each other, and, um, you know, we just learned a lot about each other right away. It was really cool. Yeah. That was a big shift. Do you, <laughs> yeah. Do you think that might have been better than, like, if you had started out on, like, a, you know, 70-mile trekking leg where you're just you're going to be walking with each other for a day? You know, you're, you're really thrown into that crucible all of a sudden. Yeah, I think so. I think that was better. Yeah, because it just yeah. – and it was just a great way to start a race, you know, the adrenaline and the excitement. Um, yeah, it was good for that, but it was also just a great way to start any race. <laughs> and we had done um, – I think we did three or four uh, video chats, kind of like we're doing right now. Yeah. And so we had kind of sorted out just generally who we are. But really, yeah. I don't know – you, 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 you got to go through hardship, you know, before you, shit has to hit the fan and how do people react, you know? Yeah. And that, that's what, that sailing thing, <laughs> a, a 70 mile trek where you're just slogging along, trying just to hydrate and eat and try to tell jokes or keep, keep everybody's morale up. That's not that hard. It, it, going into yeah. this sailing where it was extremely dangerous it, we were completely uncomfortable. None of us had sailed a boat like that. I mean, this is those prehistoric kind of boats that it's not a normal sailing boat. It's like a wooden rig, and there's like a piece of bamboo. And you got this guy that's French who's been drinking all morning because all, all of our Rodrigues guys, they, the, the, the locals said that all the ladies go to church in the morning and all the guys start drinking. Well, here's this race starting at like 1 o'clock, so they've been drinking now for five hours. And they're very competitive. Like the, they're like telling us how to, or this guy was telling us how to do the sail in French, which none of us speak French. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> these 60 sailboats with these competitive drinking <laughs> captains are all crisscrossing and they're bumping into each other and masts are breaking and they're T-boning each other and getting tipped out. I mean, it was really dangerous. It's like the wind was high, the waves were like two foot swells, and and we as a team are trying to figure this thing out very quickly. But um, but again, it 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 it, it was a great shakedown. We we gelled as a team, and I think we got off the. Uh, by the time we jumped out of the boat and started the 900 meter snorkel section, I think we were sixth. Uh, overall, so it, our wow. sailor was good. We executed five or six different um, tacks, which every time you tack, you have to lift the mast up, drop the sail down, swing it under the mast, stick the mast down in the boat, and hoist it back up and tie it all down and get back up and running. And other teams were having trouble. I mean, it was we had trouble, but we just we we had less trouble than a lot of other teams. But then the snorkel with the with the two foot swells and the current, and it was like this is. This is legit. Like we got out like heart beating, and we just rendered a video this morning and put it on our team disability uh, Facebook page. So if, if if you or any of your listeners are interested in seeing the intensity, I would check out that video. It's about six minutes long, and it takes you from the whistle blow start all the way till we get to the first TA to transition over to track. And it's it gave me chills rendering the video. Uh, yeah. So, because didn't you have to dive down to get the checkpoint? Yeah. Is that checkpoints are underwater? Yeah. 
Now, they weren't far underwater. We only had to dive down yeah. four or five feet. Um, but you know, you, if you wanted to wear a life jacket, at least one person had to go down and get those checkpoints. And so Hank is a strong swimmer. He's a free diver. He volunteered for it. Um, I wanted to capture the GoPro footage, so I was like, okay, you be the diver. I'm going to try to capture you getting yeah. it. And, um, and again, I, I like Andrew and I both. We like to take a lot of GoPro just to really support the sport. And you know, we like to watch adventure racing videos when we're like sitting around and we don't have something cool to do. We can watch YouTube or, or whatever. And so for this race, especially, we try to capture a lot of video to share with other racers. Good. So ex- explain how the race worked for everybody and me, because quite honestly, I was busy in Iceland. So it's like, oh, yeah, they're doing something. You know, that's about all I know about this. <laughs> So. Well, the island itself, it was on Rodrigues Island. It's a Mauritius island, and it's east of Madagascar, which is, of course, east of Africa, the continent. And um, it's a tropical island, but it's only 8 kilometers by 18 kilometers. And um, it's surrounded by a lagoon that's probably as large as the island itself. Um, but it's uh, we went up and down and around that island, Countless times, there were um, 29 legs and 28 transitions. There were only 11 transition areas. So a couple of the TAs we would um, go back to a couple of times. Um, But that made it really, really cool. Um, There was was never a really long leg to where you felt like, oh, I just can't possibly do this anymore. It's like a lot of long adventure races, like you're on your feet for 24 hours and you're just so ready to move on. But not this one. This was fast-paced the whole time. And it almost felt like a, you know, a 24-hour race, except that it went on for five days. (laughs) So, I don't know. What else do you want to add about it? Yeah, I guess I I think that this might be the the first race ever that there – the you had all of your gear in a boat. And so there, the race director only moved our bikes one time because the, um, the, the water, the winds in the water were so choppy and teams were having a lot of trouble with the, um, when the tide goes out in the lagoon, like you're bumping across coral, like you're, you can actually, and many teams did, they actually got stuck. They have to wait for the tide to change before they can get going again. So there, and and the boats were really small because after the sailing leg, they took away the mast and the rudder. So now we're down to just paddling, but we were allowed to put a sail or any other type of wind device as long as we brought it in on the airplane. So we're not allowed to source wood or a, or a sheet. We couldn't source anything from the island. So some teams, a lot of the top teams, they actually manufactured a sail and brought it in on the airplane. We came up with a kite. So it was like this is a big uh, foil kite that's, like, designed to um, lift laundry and some other stuff, but it stays put. So as long as you're going roughly downwind, plus or minus 15 degrees to the right or left, the kite worked really well. Some teams just paddled. Um, but any wind device, obviously, was a lot better than um, than nothing at all. Nothing. So the idea is that we started on the, let's, let's call it the southeast side of the island, and at, we get in our, after the sailing leg, we go on a trek, come back to your boat, get your boat, you know, paddle over to an island, find some CPs, paddle another island, go to CPs, paddle back to Rodrigues, and just you keep bouncing around this island with all of your gear in a boat. So it's a lot different than, you know, when the race director is moving your gear bin or your OAS, yeah. whatever you call it. We had to have everything in the boat, um, and that, that was very complicated. Um, and Rodrigues is um, – there, you know, there's not a Walmart. Like, there's no very few <laughs> restaurants. You have these, like, little huts on the side of the road, and they sell, like, canned goods and, and you know, maybe some yeah. sodas. But um, we, we we had to have the majority of our own food. If your bike broke, you had to have everything that would work to fix the bike. Um, you know, it, it's not like some races where you're going through areas you stop at, like, a 7-Eleven or a Wawa yeah. gas station. So that, that or a bike shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was probably the most unique part of this race is that you're completely self-supported out of a boat. They did provide fresh water at the TAs because the Rodrigues is a volcanic island and it's the dry season right now. 
And so there's no streams to filter water, and you're surrounded by salt water. And they, they realized racers are going to have a problem. They're going to be dehydrated and that type of thing. So I think they gave us four liters or six liters of water. At it was plenty. Yeah. It was plenty, yes. Yeah, so we had plenty of fresh water, but that was the only support that they gave us. Um, this is like the Olympics showing up to a very small town. <laughs> Rodrigues, I think it has 30,000 people total. Um, many of them are very, I mean, they've never seen mountain bikes like what we have. They've never seen the amount of gear that we have. Um, there's a zip line that we did. Um, and it, I think it was fairly new. There's a yeah. Via Ferrata that had just been put in and we were the first people to use the Via Ferrata before it opens to the public. And so as we're going through it, like ro- as we're climbing, rocks are falling off the wall and <laughs> you're going through trees. And it was like, you could tell it just been put in place. Um, you know, caving, co-steering, canyoneering. Uh, the race had everything. The only thing it didn't have was whitewater because there's no whitewater on Rodney. Yeah. But the two foot swells out in the middle of the <laughs> lagoon was, felt like whitewater. Excitement enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so nice. Well, yeah. and I'm guessing no, you know, massive all-day bike legs. No, uh, well, because the it, island itself was about, um, usually, let's just call it 500 meters, or what is that, 1,700 feet or something like that in U.S.? And so um, it seemed like Stefan, okay, so there's Heidi and Stefan, and Heidi is like the, the warm, fuzzy, all about love. It's about the culture and all these like, this race is amazing on so many levels. So Heidi did all the fun stuff, and then Stefan finds ways to slap you around and make you suffer, right? So <laughs> he basically was like, oh, great. Every time you touch your bike, you're going to go up and over the mountain and back up and over the mountain. So, yeah, um, it was also extremely steep. But the, the only good thing I would say is he basically had it so that the checkpoints are in such a way that you go uphill on the roads, which are very steep. So your granny gear is yeah. grinding away. Yeah. And then you get to bomb the hills on rugged single track that are, you know, any, anything from not legit mountain bike single track, but um, it, 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 some of it felt like single track. Some of it just felt like very rocky dirt roads. Uh, either way, it was an adrenaline rush. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how long was like a basic stage, basic leg, you know, a couple hours, half a day? Yeah, nothing was less than six hours, right? Yeah, I'd say about half a day. Yeah, six to 12 hours. They did last longer than you'd think. You know, it it would say, whatever, a 10-kilometer trek. And you'd think, oh, that's nothing. Well, (laughs) something. Yeah, it's quite steep. Canyoneering through boulder fields that it's extremely slow. And spiders, oh, my God, the spiders on rod rigs are like, uh, let, let, let's call it four or five inches in diameter, and they're webbed. Like, it, it, it's like running into a chain-link fence. Like, you have to back out of it and <laughs> find a way around it. Um, so it's not like the U.S. And so uh, it, it, a 10K leg on foot is multiple hours. It was, okay. yeah. Because it, 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 it's not 10K on flat. This is 10K because he's going to make you up yeah. to the 500 meters and back down through the spider webs on the boulder field. Yeah. In the reality. So, I mean, it's it almost seemed like beforehand that this was like a gimmick, but I I'm I'm hearing that it wasn't. So how did how did it not become a gimmick when you're doing 28 TAs and and you're in the same place and you're crossing over the same paths, you know, multiple times? How how did he? How'd they pull that off? That's amazing. I think it's surprising how big a small island can be. Like, we landed and we're like, oh, this is not going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> it, I mean, it. yeah, I think the description of the race was kind of deceiving. Like, it might make you think it was going to be easy. But no, no. It, yeah. yeah, it definitely wasn't. It, definitely, it wasn't gimmicky either. I mean, we saw many different parts of the island, if not. You know, I'd like to say all, but we saw everything. Um, But, no, it was not gimmicky. It's very authentic feeling. The people themselves were just amazing. You know, being on a, you know, hillside with goats and cows and um, just 
rugged, rugged terrain. It, it's just surprising how difficult a small island um, can be. Oh, no. Yeah, it is also the, the vegetation was very dry and um, rocky and prickly, like a, a little bit like Belize. Like you don't touch anything in Belize unless you look at it first because you're about to get stabbed with a two inch thorn. It was yeah. like that. It was like you, going through. It, you don't bushwhack like you do here in the U.S. I mean, we've got the with the rhododendron on the east side on the east coast, and we've got the manzanita. I think it's called on the west side. Yeah. You can get through that. It sucks, but you can do it. The stuff in Rodrigues, you got to go around it. It was it was brutal. Like you duck under a tree and they'd catch your shirt, and you're like you're done. Um, so the terrain was tough. Um, Remember but those the, giant yucca plants? They weren't yuccas. They're like giant yuccas. I mean, it felt uh, like they were prehistoric, like vegetation, and we're just like in Honey I Shrunk the Kids, like walking through this gigantic grass. Uh, you just couldn't get know. through it. It was so hard. <laughs> Um, but the, the other, um, and, and again, it probably looks gimmicky from the outside, but I, I think one of the things that made this race stand out was, and, and I, I've only done this one expedition in Africa, but I, I watched it last year, um, and I followed it closely, and it was like, I, I was amazed by it. I was like, it, it, it went on my bucket list at that point. I was like, Andrew, we need to do this. And she looked at me like, you're crazy. I'm like, we are crazy, but we're going to do this race no matter what. <laughs> And I'm so glad I did it because the really when Heidi and Stefan go to a place, they 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 go there themselves. They learn the culture, they learn the people, and they incorporate that into the race. So a lot of the volunteers that were doing things like the sailing or the um, you know the Via Frata, they're they're locals, and all the sailors were locals. The boats that we were in are somebody's boat that they used to make a living. And then, and as we get done with this race five days later, and we're hugging the owner of the boat that doesn't speak English. But he's like, wow, like, you know, I get to meet the team that was in my boat for the five days. Uh, it was just the, the getting, you're getting inundated in the culture and being a real part of it. And, um, I, you know, as we're riding down the road, like kids would put their hand out and you do high fives and things like that. And, and it was just, it was that, that was as much part of the race as the race itself. The, the build up to it, the flag parade, walking through the city. They had all the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts carry our flags for us. You know, we all brought soccer balls to, to donate to the kids. And so since, you know, we were only one of two SUS teams, Lionheart was also there. You know, we, we brought um, women's World Cup soccer balls with, like, photo, like the women are on the ball. And so we brought, uh, I think, four of those. And, like, they're very sought after. Um, and so we got a lot of photos and stuff with the scouts and then to do the flag parade and then have all of the politicians speak and then to go to the end of the thing and have the, the after party with local music and local food. Um, and, and if you like, again, if you look, go look at the race start video that we just posted, you'll see like we're running through the locals to get back to the first TA. And there's like the whole Island is there to watch these crazy adventure racers do the sailing thing. So I guess just it's just different than other races where they incorporate the culture and the love and the um, the, the the general connection between people to people, I guess. And I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Well, the race structure itself kind of um, brought that home, too, because we ran into other teams a lot more frequently than other expedition races. Yeah. You know, we just got to see a lot of people. and. I mean, you just realize anytime you see someone, you're all out there for the same reason. You know, you're challenging yourself in a fun way, and you feel like you've known each other for a long time, even though I don't remember half their names or even half their <laughs> names, but I know their face. I'm like, oh, you're the guy that I saw here or there. And um, so that was not gimmicky either. You know, that their after party, it was just so much fun, and the way Heidi um, just articulates everything I'm trying to say right now, not as well as she does, but uh, just that it is all about love. We all love being out there and we love each other and we love what we're doing. It just really makes you want to be a part of it and continue to be a part of it and to really want to be genuine with the people you're around. So it was really great. So you said you see people, was it a lot of, you know, you're, you're trekking West and they're, biking east or you know a lot of that stuff you're on different legs and yeah there was a lot of that um another part of the race that that um 
it was both challenging and it, it spread the teams out quite a bit was the tides in the in the nighttime. Yeah. So they around the Rodrigues Island proper, there's a bunch of other islands. And so the, some of the TAs were on these other islands. And so it would be, you know, you, you get to an island and now you have to get your, your snorkel gear. And, and they there's this thing called the stemfish that will, like, if you get stabbed by it, it's basically a life or death situation. So you had to have hard-soled shoes if you're in the water at all. They also mandated that you had to have a at least a Farmer John top wetsuit and a full-length bottom wetsuit. It could be one piece, it could be two pieces, but you had to have at least Farmer John on the top and full legs on the bottom with hard-soled shoes. And then you have fins, mask, snorkel, life jacket. You had to have a life jacket if you're in the water. So we have to now uh, snorkel over to an island across the current um, to go get checkpoints. And sometimes you go over to one island, you have to go to the next island and then back. So now you're having to do a long trek section with snorkeling in between. So then the question is, do you walk in your water shoes or do you take off your water shoes and put on your trek shoes? And, uh, you know, I made a mistake one time. I walked 2K in my water shoes and almost started to destroy my feet, which is really bad in, a, in an adventure race. Um, so there's a lot of logistical challenges. And then at night, what really spread the teams out, and this, this affected us as well, there was a swim, or there was a snorkel section between two islands, and the current was really bad. And these are islands that are uninhabited, so there's no light. So um, a lot of teams, including us, chose not to do it. So all of a sudden now it's like the top teams would go in there. They would do it no matter what because they're trying to clear the course and win. You know, they're coming off the course traumatized. They're like, holy crap. You know, one swam for an hour and a half at night in two-foot swells against the current and landed back at the same spot, not knowing it. But they – can you imagine that? You're out in the middle of the night in a lagoon in the middle of the the Indian Ocean where there's sharks and all kinds of crap, and you've put forth all of that effort, and you land at the same spot. Um, so a lot of teams went for those points. We chose, look, it's dark, it's dangerous, we're not doing it. So yeah. and now you have teams, you know, you have the back-of-the-pack teams catching up with the front-of-the-pack teams and that type of thing. So, yes, there was a lot of crisscrossing where you didn't really know, you know, who's the top team because you're just because you're crossing doesn't mean anything because you, you yeah. skip points or maybe you skip points. But did it – Make it a competitive race, like for the top five places. Then, with with all that, I mean, did were they able to race each other? Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, particularly the top two teams had some interesting yeah. run-ins. You yeah. know, whether one team was following the other or not, and then it, it just sounded a little bit dicey up there at the front. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, they they did ask us. Okay, so just for the sake of the race, so. Um, although we had a ton of transition areas, they did say all of the checkpoints needed to be done in order. So it wasn't a row game stock. So this is once you get to TA, you know, four, you've got to do checkpoints, this number, then this one, then this one, and this one in order. So the top teams were very close to each other. Um, I'd say probably the top five were very close. Um, the top two, if you look at Sleep Monsters where they do all the blogging, You'll, you'll see it, so don't, don't listen to me. Listen, read, read it yourself. The top two teams were basically leapfrogging the whole time following each other. And so it was a matter of if, if, if the, uh, I guess, um, I think it was Greener Adventures was up against Blizzard. And so they were trying to let Blizzard do all the navigating where they just follow and just so they, they don't have to put forth the effort of navigation because they knew Blizzard had an amazing navigator. And so they would basically follow each other the whole time. So there's a little bit of controversy on that. Like, is that fair? Is that good, you know, race strategy where you're following another race until the end and then you just jump in front of them? And um, so there's a lot of that kind of gossip going around of, you know, yeah. should that have happened or not? Um, but, yeah, and Merrill, I think, was the third-place team, and they were right there just – Fighting really hard to stay up with the with the top two or three teams. Um, yeah. I think it, the first twenty or so, I believe, cleared it, and then after that, maybe twenty five, and then after that, you start seeing checkpoints get dropped. Dropped, yeah. So, um, but I mean, in a compressed area like that, how can you not, you know, be with each other? You know, it, you know, you get two really good teams. You know, I I am assuming that you couldn't pick. 
you know, two different valleys to get to a checkpoint. So yeah. how do you not follow a team? No, it, so. there, there was some core strategy, but not like what you're talking about. Like if you have a really yeah. long trek leg where it's 70 K or a hundred K across linear, it's go yeah. over or around and you got a lot of different course choices. And we see that with dot watching some of the bigger races. This was very straightforward. We're pretty much walking in each other's footsteps. Um, there, but but the terrain was uh, treacherous. The the maps with the, um, the 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 topo lines were not our typical U.S. topo lines, where there are lots of them. So I think it was like yeah. the topo line was like 40 meters. So like you could, there, there could be a complete what looks like a mountain in the way, and it wouldn't show up on the top. So yeah. that tricked yeah. me. I'm, I'm the navigator on the team, and so that tricked me a couple times because I, I summited what I thought was a mountain <laughs> that should have a checkpoint on it, and the mountain I'm on is not even on the map. It doesn't yeah. even go yeah. up because this other mountain over there that's twice as tall, that's the checkpoint. So yeah. um, so there was some things like that where teams would get uh, cliffed out. Um, for example, on the first trek, it was scary as hell, so we're, we're going up a reentrant. And we're going, trying to get up to the zip line as quick as we can because we knew that was going to be a bottleneck and it was on the first day. And so all the teams are pushing really hard to get there as fast as they could. And what was it? It was a dry, it was like a dry like waterfall. Dry and all of a sudden teams are like climbing this thing that's like a, a, a class, it's like a, a, I mean, it was like a boulder scramble that there are consequences. If you fall, yeah. you're going to roll to your death, you know. So, um, so I'd say it's like a five, six, probably boulder scramble. But so, there's single file, like right one after another. Yeah. And, you know, some team says, Oh, we better put our helmets on. And like, yeah, you think? Yeah, like, think. <laughs> and rocks are falling. And, and, there, and one time it was either a rock or a tree fell. And I literally thought a racer had just like fallen to their death. And, like, and they caught themselves just, yeah, just, just in time. The time. Like, oh, so wow. Like, F this, we're going to figure out another way. And so we backtracked about 50 or 100 meters and found a spur, and we went up to the spur, and, and that was the best decision because we ended up beating a lot of the teams that were in this, like, Mount Everest-style <laughs> bottleneck of death, you know. Um, no one died. No one died. <laughs> but it was scary. So that, that gives you an idea of the course strategy where the terrain yeah. was such that it's – either because of the briars and the vegetation or because of the steepness, it was unpassable. And so yeah. as a navigator, it's really hard to figure out what's the best way to get from point A to point B. So there's a lot of, yeah. if you watch the dots, there's probably a lot of zigzagging around. So trying to figure it out. Yeah. So, um, how was the zip line? Oh, it was fun. <laughs> I got to zip along with the fruit bat. Huge, probably four feet wingspan, kind of going along at the same speed as I was. So it's pretty cool. The sun was setting, and yeah, we were we were doing good at that time. Yeah. So yeah, it felt good. The fruit bats are like the size of a cat. I mean, it's like it's crazy. And they make some <laughs> weird sounds too. It's like it's like right out of a vampire movie. <laughs> yeah, we we hit it exactly at the right time. It, the sun was going down. You can see the lagoon. You can see the water. You see the mountains. Like I, I can't remember. It, it breaks some record. It's either the longest or the highest or something in the in the, yeah. in the Indian Ocean. Uh, so, and that's a little bit of a novelty, you know. It, it, yeah. Finding's fun, but it's like as a racer, you're kind of like, okay, I've done this a thousand times. I don't need to do it again. But it does give you an opportunity to meet the other teams. You know, you're in queue to get your your harness on, and so it's 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 a time to rehydrate, eat, chat take some GoPro, yeah. do something kind of fun, and then you get back to racing once your whole team's through the zip line. But I really enjoyed it. I'm glad they built it. I wish it would have been on, like, day two or it wasn't such a bottleneck because a lot of teams that, that had a problem with the sailing ended up at the way back of the zip line. So even the top teams had to really, really catch up. And so it's kind of not fair to them. They're a great team, but because of some little mishap, not because of their fault, because of a, yeah. a gear problem or whatever, that they ended up in the bottleneck on the on the zip line. But one of the other novelties of the island, the tortoise park, that uh, was quite fun. That, <laughs> the tortoise or park. Or it started out fun. Yeah. But tell us about the tortoise park, Ann. Since you were navigating the tortoise park, so I had nothing to do with this. Yeah, right. The tortoise park is just a park, like a little bit of a zoo. Like, you know, I guess – You'd think it might be a little bit cheesy, but it really wasn't. There wasn't that much signage or anything. There's a couple of big caves in the tortoise park, 
And the maps we're given are like Google Maps for this because it, it's just a really small little thing they want us to do just to enjoy being there. So it's easy, you know. So we <laughs> we go through the caves, beautiful. There's a couple checkpoints in the caves. The second cave is a really tight cave, like probably the tightest cave I've ever been in. You know, we're on all fours and kind of um, shimmying along. There's a checkpoint in there, and um, Chip gets hot in in this cave, so he takes off his jacket. Anyway, we get out of the cave, and um, he remembers that he forgot to punch his wrist. So yeah, that's okay. another thing. Like, we hadn't had a, a race like this before. We all had wristbands, and each one of us had to punch our wristbands. So there wasn't just one passport. So all four of us had to do the punch every single CP. And Chip and Hank both forgot to punch their wristband. So you think easy enough, we'll just go to the the start of that cave and just do it again. It took us way, way too long to find the entrance of that second cave again. Like we were just so surprised and crazy. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> the, the typical sleep monsters, right? You get the hallucinations and all of that. And when you're in the normal, like you're just walking down a trail and you, you know, you're seeing like a Snickers wrapper and it's really just a leaf or maybe you see a barn and it's really just a tree. We're in a cave. So like everything you look at is like a demon and a ghoul and a face and a Buddha and a, it was just all this crazy. And so we are just, just giggling and we're like a bunch of drunken sailors walking through this cave. Um, and, and so we forget the punch and we, now we're lost in this, the easiest navigation of the whole race with a Google satellite photo. We're walking around. These tortoises are huge. Like these things are like, you know, three or four feet in diameter. And so like one, uh, it's absolutely hilarious. So there's one that's like up on this, like, let's just call it a platform. Maybe it's like 10 by 10 feet. And I walk up on the platform and there's this tortoise there. And the tortoise, like, hisses at me. So it scares the shit out of me, right? Like, these things are huge, and I'm thinking, like, I'm going to die because the tortoise is going to bite my leg off. And so I jump, and I, I, you know, you have, like, bowel issues when you're adventure racing because you're eating bars and stuff. So I, like, let a fart out, and then another fart, another fart. And so the our, our, our other uh, South African teammate is, like, laughing her ass off because I'm, like, fart, 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 fart. I got to I'm like, poop myself, running away from this huge prehistoric tortoise. Um, but we are, like, completely lost in this tortoise zoo. And we, when we finally go all the way back around and we, we get our checkpoint, and, and like she said, it's like you can't even be on all fours. Like, you're having stalactites hitting your head. It sucks. Yeah. You know, but – I guess then Hank, who is like, he's here to save the day, right? And he grabs the map from Andrea, and he's like, I've got this. I know, right where I am. Yeah. And he's like, we're going to go left. And I say, are you sure you want to go left? He's like, yes, we're going back to the entrance. Well, (laughs) we then get to a sign that says entrance to the cave. So instead of taking us to the entrance entrance, he took us to the entrance of the cave. Anyway, Completely the wrong direction. Yeah, this is like ground the wrong yeah. direction. But it did tell us exactly where we were. And, yeah. And so we made it out of the tortoise caves. <laughs> Meanwhile, and then going back to legit adventure racing. Like, this was fun. We have our tortoise thing. Now we're back out and into the cold. It's spitting rain. It's, you know, we're all hallucinating our asses off. We need a place to crash now. I mean, it was like... We, we we almost we tried to sleep in one of the buildings. We got run off by the security guards because we were trying to get out of the wind and the rain. And then so uh, we ended up going into another cave. It was like two two clicks away, I think, yeah. which was an unmanned cave. And um, so we're in that cave hallucinating our asses off. We get those two checkpoints, and we finally decide. It's like normally caves are cold, you know, like 50 degrees, yeah. 60 degrees. It's yeah. so cold and windy and rainy outside, we realize, wait a second, it's dark, it's quiet. The, the other thing, there are dogs, everybody's got dogs in Rodrigues, and so <laughs> if you just crash in the grass, there's some dog barking at you nonstop. So it, sleeping outside is really hard in Rodrigues, and you can't get good sleep because of the dogs. So Unless you're in a cave. Unless you're in a cave. <laughs> we decide we're just going to crash and burn in this cave. And so we just lay down. It's warm, it wasn't raining, it's not windy, it's quiet, and so we just crashed in the cave. But of course, 
um, we hear other racers coming, and we've got our lights out, right? We're blacked out. And so other races are coming around the corner. They're trying to find the checkpoint. And we're like, oh, 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 oh. you know, and they, they poop themselves like I did. So um, there is stuff like that where that. it's like, was, yeah. Yeah, you were zonked out. But um, so it's like, and I guess it, it uh, there, there's so many stories in adventure racing, but these on the expedition length races where the sleep monsters are fully there with you as a teammate. Um, it's just, God, the silliness that occurs and that, you know, so much fun. That's the good part. So, um, so I'm going to say you would probably rate the experience as a 10. Yeah. I, I would, but Andrea has got kids and all kinds of stuff. I don't have kids. I, I rate it as the highlight of my life, honestly. And I, and I'm not just saying that just cause I got done with it. To, I, I've never done something where I've put such a big goal on the calendar, you know, a um, more than a year and a half away that's so logistically complicated, that's so amount of training that's needed um, financially, professionally. Um, and then we had our teammates that dropped. So now we're dealing with teammates from another country that we've never raced with, a different culture, Um to me, it was like the hardest thing intellectually and logistically that I've ever tried to do. And then to get there and actually participate in the race and have an amazing time. But then um, for me, that was most profound was the last day. It was so we're, we're five days into this race. And again, I'm the navigator. So I'm like trying to look at these maps and I'm tearing up because I know we're hours away from the finish line. Barring anything crazy, we're going to finish this thing. Um, I was having a hard time even looking at the maps because I'm tearing up. I mean, I'm like looking at it. It was such an emotional experience. And then uh, the stand-up paddleboarding was like the last. I think we had a stand-up paddleboard like three kilometers to get to the finish line. And it's a – every other minute of this Rodriguez experience was windy and wavy and crap on, out on the water. It was very difficult. But here we are in this stand-up paddleboarding, windless night, perfectly flat water and it's pretty much crystal clear so you get your headlamp you can see down into the, the reefs and we're paddling to the finish we are the last team to cross the finish line we had a lot more points than everybody else i mean i'm sorry we ended up like mid-pack but we had spent 128 plus hours out there which is longer than any team and so at the finish line are all the other racers they're going crazy the music pumping and we've got like 30 minutes to see the finish line as we're approaching across the nighttime, perfectly calm water. And so when it comes down to it, here's this amazing life experience that, that was a goal for so long. And then to have this finish that's drawn out, completely beautiful storybook, um, it just it couldn't have been better. So I, I don't I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to top it, but I'm going to try really hard. <laughs> I, I, I said at the end of this whole thing, this is my sport, these are my people, and this is where I feel most alive. And that um, I, I don't. It's once you feel that feeling, you just, like when can we do our next race? Yeah. Oh, well, good question. What's next? <laughs> What's oh, next? Oh boy. Well, Nationals. Nationals is yeah. this week, and Chip is not available. So guess who's racing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's going to be fun, hopefully. You can experience J.J. Petazowitz and Nate Wood are racing with me. Um, Nate has not done a race of that length yet, but he's a strong, yeah. strong guy. Uh, just finished a 12-hour, 52-mile run on Saturday. Anyway, so those two are going to be racing with me this weekend. But um, And J.J.'s raced with us a bunch, the Florida Sea to Sea last year. He did um, the, uh, the a couple of the uh, adventure addicts. Yeah, Shenandoah yeah. Epic Race. And, of course, so, we met him in Belize when we met you. So. Yep. So, uh, so I, I'm excited. I'm very proud of Andrea for captain and a team of nationals because it's, like, it's a really good time, and it's usually a really fun race. And I, I wish I could be there, but I'm at this conference. Um, we'll probably do Florida Sea to Sea again because it's a it's a great shakedown for bigger yeah. bigger races because it's not ARWS and so it's kind of you know you can try hard but it's not the same I guess as ARWS and then um we're gonna put Lesotho on the calendar so we're doing Africa in uh, April and then uh, who knows what else uh, Croatia my God Croatia just went down like last week and and seeing yeah. photos was unbelievable so um 
Yeah. I would love to do that again. I mean, I would love yeah. to do that. I'm sorry. I want to add that to my yeah. list of races. Yeah. Well, I mean, the dates will maybe next year a little better. I mean, it was really weird. Like, you had Itera in, in, in Africa and Croatia, like, in a month of each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Was, and of course, you, said, you can't do them all. If, so yeah. Eco looked like it did good because all of our yeah. family that are coming out of Eco are saying it was an amazing experience. And so, we're yeah. going to kind of keep, we're going to kind of keep our ear to the ground on that. And it, like this time, um, we thought about doing eco, but we already had Africa on the calendar. We already paid the money, had plane tickets and everything, so we had to kind of, um, you know, turn down eco or not bait. Um, and so we're, we we do we would like to participate in it if it occurs again. And of course, I've got to say it on the podcast, on your podcast, because we may have pulled off the first Rick rolling of the adventure race community and in, in the world. Do yeah. you know what Rick rolling is? Oh yeah, I I looked at that and I'm like, okay, this ain't. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't legit. Exactly. <laughs> but so we yeah. had to do it. I mean, eco, all the yeah. secrecy around eco and the racers. And yeah. I say it was amazing, but I can't tell you anything. So yeah. we, we decided Rick rolling the adventure race community was going to be a smart, funny. Just this is the time if we're going to do it. And Rick rolling is what? It's Rick Ashley and his song. Never going to give you up. Never give you up. So it's like one of the best hoaxes is like you just get this guy's music video to pop up at the least expected moment. And so we posted that a racer had leaked information about eco. And so I think like 600 racers around the world have now been rickrolled. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm so glad we were given the opportunity to do it. Yeah. I am, uh, I think, while I posted it, I was never more proud of the adventure race community that contributed to the fantasy group yes that was amazing and you you launched that yourself didn't you was that you yeah well in uh, full disclosure Anne marie said something about you need to you need to save these so the racers could see it and i'm like yeah that's a good idea i better start a page so yeah i and, and it's like you never know and it's like man funny people came from everywhere oh they ate it up i mean yeah, when, when when you got AR live coverage, completely listing out what happened to the board, like, how do you know this stuff? I mean, it was just, yeah. You know, I thought you did a great job with that. That was a lot of fun, and hopefully one day we hear what really happened or why. I think we will. So I'll just tell you the the rumor is three years, and the next one's Patagonia. Wow. Huh. So. Put on the big boy pants for that one, Patagonia. <laughs> Yep, yep. There'll be a lot of people. Yeah. You know, especially since, you know, basically everybody has said it was a race. It wasn't a TV thing. So, yeah. Right. That'll, that'll, that's, a, that's a legit, like, after listening to or watching, um, who was it? It was Bend Racing go through Patagonia. I was like, oh, yeah. that's a whole other level of racing. Yeah. It's I've, like, uh, you know, Paulette's done it twice. So I, I've heard the stories. Yeah. So, cool. Um, okay, it's popcorn time. <laughs> so, uh, thanks. It was great. And it's really nice because I get to see you in like five months. Absolutely. C to C. Yeah. At C to C. Yes. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Yep. So, cool. Well, um, I guess bottom line is you sort of had a good time. It was okay. <laughs> I would go back and rewind the clock and do it all over again beginning and it was absolutely amazing and i for any racer that that is is listening to your podcast and does the normal local you know 12 hour 18 hour or 24 hour races uh do an expedition see that he's a great one because it's it's florida it's fun the gators they're not that bad they you know no. It's legit um, too, it's, though. It's a legit it's race. It's a legit race, definitely. It's an expedition length race. It is a different sport. It's a different uh, the the being fully immersed and and doing something of that um, intensity, I guess, for that long with with your with your teammates is just an experience. I don't think you can get it anywhere else. No, no. That that compression of time and of emotion and physicality just you can't get it anywhere else no. yeah. 
So, but right, cool. Randy, people don't thank you enough, but thank you for what you do for adventure racing and getting the stories out. Um, I think the sport is a better sport because you're doing what you do. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's like, I'll take a compliment. I've learned. Thank you. Earned it. <laughs> yeah. We had the photographs and supporting the sport. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, good luck, Nick, this weekend, Andrea. Thank you. And have fun. Thanks. You too. All right. And then we'll see who has more fun, you or conference. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. Come on, you guys, go. We are family.
Jessica Wagner, Sweet Cherie Mitchell, and Fonzie Gordon. Woo!